Tired of settling for less than the best with your team's dry land program? SwimStrong Dryland is the answer you've been looking for. With world-class dryland programming for every age group, customized to fit your team's needs, nutritional coaching and education centered on the latest evidence-based research, leadership training and character development to promote an athlete-driven culture, sports psychology education and mental skills training, coaches' corners to promote collaboration, data-driven performance analysis, and an unrivaled family of athletes, coaches, and teams, Fast Swimming starts here. All right, here we go. Here with Matt Kravis. How are you, Matt? Good, Brett. How are you? I'm really good. Uh, good. Thanks for doing this, man. It's been been a while coming, but I'm glad we could do this. Yeah, me too. No, it's uh, back in the swimming world is always great for me. I love talking swimming. Yeah. Well, listen, you're universally one of the most liked people in swimming. I mean, everyone I talked to and I mentioned your name, it was like, oh, he's a nice guy. Why, why are you such a nice guy, man? <laughs> uh that's a good uh i try to be i don't think i naturally am um i was thinking about my career before this in preparation for this interview mm. and i think i feel bad for some coaches that had me at certain times in my life um <laughs> just because i didn't know how to keep the inner voice and the outer what is actually saying uh separate and i think <laughs> people might think i'm a nice guy because i keep <laughs> Yeah, I filter myself uh, in a good way. I, I I genuinely want what's best for most people, I think. But I think most people are like that anyway. But I think the difference is maybe I am was good at getting an early filter. <laughs> I don't I don't know, though. You want to make some uh, reparations? You want to you want to make some confessions? Yeah, Bob Grosseth, man. The, I felt bad in my college years. I think I gave that guy some extra gray hairs. <laughs> Uh, but no, he, he's, he was awesome. He was great. That's who mainly I think of. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think in terms of that, I mean, there's a question that pops up there for me as well is like, why did you end up choosing Northwestern for somebody that is, uh, predominantly, you know, as, as talented as you would say, and, 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 you know, as big as you and, and kind of like, and had the career that you had Northwestern doesn't seem like the obvious choice up front. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, growing up in the Chicago area, Northwestern was very prestigious. And uh, one of my high school captains from my high school team swam there. So I'd visit him and then see the team and get to know the campus. And yeah, actually, I was hanging out with the with the swim team long before even recruiting trips um, just mm -hmm. to hang out with him. But and Sergio Lopez was there my freshman year and recruited me and he was he was telling me i was going to be the best and i was i was believing what sergio was saying so he really was a huge reason why i wanted to go to northwestern um he kind of appealed to my ego of hey you can make a huge change here do you want to be the big fish you're going to be a big fish and you might make some lasting changes to this program and that appealed to me like i said mm -hmm. I, in my head i wanted to dominate the world i might not have said all that out loud too often, but um, Sergio knew how to speak to me and got me excited to join that program and, and change the not only the program but try to be yeah my best my best self as a swimmer. Really, that that's actually fascinating, and and I'm going to go to full screen here in a second, so don't freak out. I forgot to tell you that early in the podcast, but uh, whenever you talk, I'll go to the full screen. But um, I did want to say it's unusual for somebody to admit they wanted to dominate the world uh, at such a young stage of their career. Maybe as the career goes on, but like even before you went to college, you knew kind of you had this plan and this path that you wanted to be the world's best swimmer, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, when I was 10 years old, uh, I set a national record in the 50 backstroke, and it was a life-altering moment. Um, you know, parents are just talking to each other, gossiping. Kids are running around, um, playing tag, eating candy. But when the announcer said I broke the national record, everyone stopped what they are doing. They paused, and they clapped. And my hero mm-hmm. was 10 years old, and I had the power to make parents stand up. I had the power to make kids watch and like watch the pool. And I remember running to my mom. I was like, mom, mom, that felt so good. Like, what's the largest stage I can do that at? And she said, well, that's called the Olympics. So without really knowing what I was saying at that time when I was 10, a little bit, I said, well, I want to win the Olympics. And saying that out loud held me accountable to it for all those years until 17 years later, I was (laughs) able to do it individually. And uh, I, I really did. I thought I had all the gifts um, to make it happen. And it was kind of almost an obligation. Um, yeah, to just be the best I could be. And so I, in my mind, I always thought I had that possibility. I definitely strayed from the path. No doubt, like, I wasn't always full steam ahead. But um, I really did have, and I just, my best races were when I thought I could just eat people up. Like I wanted to get behind on relays. I wanted mm. to show how much I could catch up to someone. <laughs> and you wouldn't say it out loud again, but in your head, you're like, yeah, like let's show it. And I think I was, yeah. I mean, it comes out every now and then. My friends that know me really well made it their life objective to keep my head grounded, <laughs> which was good. But it is interesting that you said 17 years later, you know, you, you're talking about yourself as a 10 year old. And a lot of times the, this day and age, we see parents who are, are pushing their kids to to become the best they can be and maybe go to the Olympics and, and become Olympic champions. And And you're talking about a 17-year process from that moment where you had your first vision, your first dream, your first realization. It's a a massive amount of time and work that you put in for that, right? Massive. And and not just me, like everyone that supported me to that. My parents knew that was a goal and they helped me realize it when I didn't want to. Like 10 years old, you don't know what you're really saying. So when I wanted to quit, which I think almost every kid wants to quit at some point um, or not go to practice. They really uh, forcefully encouraged me to commit. And uh, man, I'm so thankful now that they didn't let a 10 year old make the silly decision that, you know, playing video games or eating candy or going to sleepovers was more important than um, my dream. And so, yeah, like they, 17 years, I could not have done it myself at all. I needed my my parents, my siblings, teammates, coaches, friends, uh, all kind of helping me and motivating me. And uh, I think that's why it's so good to say that goal, like say it out loud, is just the accountability part. Sure, there's help, there's motivation, but just like, just knowing you said it out loud, mm. they don't even need to do anything. You just know like, oh, they know that I'm trying to do this and they're probably judging this action. Um, and maybe they're not, but that's that's how I was able to stay on track for that long, um, or at least somewhat on track, is a huge support system um, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, even when you're 12, 14, 16, 18, I just talked about how I want to apologize to Bob Grosseth when I was in my 20s, like, <laughs> you, you just need other people to help you make the right decisions. Yeah, no doubt. And and you did surround yourself with good people. Luckily, you made some good decisions by putting those people around you, uh, Sergio and Bob and people like that and and your teammates at Northwestern. But um, 
I'm imagining, I mean, you're what, six foot eight, aren't you? Yeah. I'm imagining a six foot six, 10 year old Mac Reeves. Am I wrong there? How big were you at 10? Yeah, I, I was bigger, um, but not huge. And my freshman year in high school, I was six foot. Okay. So that's not that big. Mm. Uh, my sophomore year in high school, I was like six, five, six, six. So that was a, a painful mm. summer of growth, um, literally painful with shin splints. Um, but no, I wasn't that big. I just, I wanted it. I was just, I think that's what young athletes, the difference between someone that's way better or not is wanting it, what they're willing to do for it. And right. uh, they don't understand pain tolerance maybe that well, but they're getting there. Um, and I was willing to, to hurt and I was willing to risk it um, when I was very young, when even eight, uh, I wanted to be as fast as my brother and sisters and they're much older. And that's a, that was a huge thing for me, just wanting to play pool games with them, like shark and minnows, and wanting to be the best. I'd hold my breath forever. Like they would have to really drag me up, uh, just because I wanted to win everything. <laughs> and I think I had that kind of little gift as a as a young guy. It wasn't necessarily size yet. Size mm. definitely helped me, but not at a young age. It's interesting, hey, because that seems more innate, right? That that you know, you're, you're in an environment right you put yourself in an environment but it just seems like you had this innate uh want and desire to compete you know that that can't be taught for, for people like you know you who end up becoming olympic champions it's it's that separating factor isn't it really i think so and i think that's a lot of those competitors like sports like swimming where you know you're not losing friends when you're mm. super aggressive you're you know have teammates that you're yelling at uh, as often obviously it can be a team sport in in a practice setting where you're encouraging motivating um challenging each other but when you're behind the blocks and you perform i love swimming that it was up to me how that outcome happened when i was on the blocks it, it wasn't up to someone knowing the play or um if they put in the work whatever there's no doubts the confidence on the block was full because it was up to you. Um, and I have tried other sports, even kind of my retired years here, I've been playing some pickleball and even that's like, it's emotionally draining for me, just the dynamic of partners and competitors and the social aspects fun, but I'm just exhausted after not physically, but mentally. Mm. And I was like, man, I miss swimming. I loved that. You could just, I don't know, you could just swim and you could just focus on every little aspect of your stroke, um, be so zoned in that time flies, but it was, yeah, it was magical, um, to swim. And I, and I think those competitive people, swimming is a great sport for them. Um, especially ones that might yell at their teammates, you go, go to swimming, go to track. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, tell me more about your collegiate experience. And you had a couple of guys around you. I remember at one stage, you guys had a killer relay um, at Northwestern. T tell me about your collegiate experience there. Yeah, a freshman year. Um, yeah, I, th I think I had perfect attendance. I was a, I was a good boy. And uh, <laughs> we swam, we swam really well. We had great leaders and captains that year. And then um, on my, it was kind of like the national junior team trip, but it wasn't called that at the point. It was in Australia and uh, it was in the Sydney pool in 2003. I swam with Kyle Bubolts. He was a year younger than me. And he's like, hey, I, I think you're being recruited by Northwestern. You should go. 
I want to go there too. I was like, all right, well, if I go, you got to go. And obviously <laughs> that didn't have like, that wasn't binding or the mm. reasons either of us went, but uh, I recruited him super hard after I was there. And so we got Kyle um, and Mike Alexandrov was there my freshman year. Mm. And then, uh, and then we, we had a good medley relay with Kyle as a butterflyer, uh, Mike as a breaststroker and he set the American record during the college years. I wasn't, I was okay. Um, but I wasn't really, there were more impressive splits than I was, um, in college watching some of those videos, man, my backstroke start was brutal. <laughs> it, uh, needed, <laughs> needed the wedge, didn't have it yet. Um, and then we just need a freestyler. And if you probably remember 2005, I think you were kind of in it 2006. Mm-hmm. We're probably, we're, we were ahead, um, beating everyone in a freestylers just didn't really have the talent yet. And then my senior year in 2007, we won. And, uh, that was a goal since my sophomore year was to win. Actually, even my freshman year, I was talking to Bubbles about it before he was even a Northwestern commit, uh, before he committed. So to be able to win that, um, that felt awesome. I think we, mm. we were jacked up and yeah. it was a great team. Bob, Bob did a really, really great job with us. Cause we had some, uh, yeah, he just had to deal with egos. I think <laughs> as college guys, I think that it's <laughs> that happens. But yeah. it, it was great. Yeah, yeah. College coaches don't get enough credit sometimes for the management of the athletes. It's not so much the um, getting them to swim fast. And I talked to um, Todd DeSorbo about this. A podcast came out uh, today, actually, and uh, he, he was talking about just the management of of high level athletes. You know, and the and the different personalities and egos and and just the balancing act of and even when you got a great team of just getting everybody to click at the same time collectively and then and a lot of them are competing against each other you know they could be teammates but they could be rivals as well so it's like just the the management of that coaches don't get enough credit for that (laughs) absolutely well and just how do you communicate with each person um i know i'm skipping ahead here but like rick demont ended up being able to communicate me with me better than anyone and i'm not mm-hmm. just saying as a swim coach as a person just our language meshed so we didn't even have to say much at the end he just kind of be like i want and i was like oh yeah you want this mm-hmm. and it was that that was magic so i think yes managing and then communicating with so many different types of people um and if you're trying to present an idea or a drill or what you want out of a set to 15 sometimes 60 people man that's that's impressive and some coaches can do that really well and that's that's a skill and value that's super up there what year but, did you end up graduating from northwestern oh seven oh seven okay yeah so that was your final year we had that big win um and then we're, we're obviously leading into oh eight and we're actually leading into a period of your life where you have this incredible career as well. You know, like you, you have this college experience and you do well, but my God, after you leave college, you become a different human and, and go on to d- finally, you know, uh, fulfill that destiny of, of winning world championships, Olympic games, things like that. So what was the shift then? Um, h- how did you know that you, you needed to make that shift? What was it? You know, how, what, what was the, what was the big turning point? Yeah, I, um, so many. I don't know what was the biggest shift, really, that or the biggest thing that got me to get a lot faster. But um, I'll try to present most of them. One was definitely my focus. I mm-hmm. stopped being distracted by as much social aspects. Um, 
I stopped being distracted by school. I wasn't, I wasn't mm-hmm. taking classes. So I was just swimming, sleeping, eating, uh, and, and really enjoying everything I did. So just having that focus just on swimming for me, that helped. That's what I know. Some people need to stay busy. I, I needed just swimming. That's, that was the best for my mind because mm-hmm. I was a very mindful swimmer. And that's the next thing is being <laughs> learning how to use my mind, mm-hmm. um, with every stroke. I grew up with, um, a kind of a di- more distance program. I'm talking like eight to 14 was just yards and mm. you kind of learn to go somewhere else with your mind, not swimming. You think about fantasy books, <laughs> girls, I don't know, school issues. You're not thinking about swimming. And then <laughs> my high school coach, Lee Maurer, um, who's at USC now and Eric Maurer, her husband was my volunteer coach. They started incorporating drills into my stroke, started to get me more mindful and try to find faster ways through the water. And then um, a little bit of that at Northwestern, we're, we're more about, um, we sharpened up not so much with drills, but we just got, we swam a lot, but we didn't, I didn't get super deep in the water where I was developing completely the wrong muscle groups right. or stroke. Um, and then with Rick DeMont, I, well, and I swam with Frank's group too um, at first, but with Rick, I became a super mindful swimmer. Um, sorry if that noise got you. Um, a super mindful swimmer, and I was just exhausted. Um, so I have this hyper focus on my swimming, and then I start learning to use my brain nonstop. Like every stroke, mm. I'm feeling where the water's different, how I'm connected, the where leverage points are, where gliding is, and deep water. He was teaching me deep water, and uh. It's good I didn't have classes because I had to nap like nonstop. And I started swimming really slow when I first got to Arizona. Um, when I was doing with the sprint group, we kind of were a whole group together. And that was kind of what I was used to. And then when I got to go straight to um, the sprint group for a while, that whole like I wasn't developing those muscles deep water. So I could barely do like 25s on my lats, like being on fire. I wasn't really engaging my biceps that much. Definitely not the top of my stroke. So rocket through drills kind of told a story through a drill progression Mm. that like, again, the communication just made so much sense to me and he didn't even have to explain why we were doing a drill. I knew it. I could tell what he was trying. He'd see something in someone's stroke, maybe not me specifically, but someone in the group that needed to work on something and have a drill for it. So we did, you know, 12 o'clock drilled and developing the straight arm, but re- what wasn't for the recovery aspect. Mm-hmm. It was for getting that arm you know, forward and deep, um, mm-hmm. on the catch. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I mean, like I said, I was tired. I started out slow, but then it started clicking and my freestyle got better and better. And then I learned how to swim kind of a leveraged backstroke. Uh, Rick at one point, he just called it the canoe. And whenever mm-hmm. I got, you know, two arms and legs, not enough of a, connected unit he'd be like find the canoe find the canoe <laughs> and i would i ended i would find the canoe um just being connected everywhere and using my body so i rick that communication was maybe what i think is huge but just again the focus on nutrition and uh sleep and and just swimming and not having other distractions for me was really important yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I you just talking about Rick DeMont there. I just think Rick is one of the all-time greats and he doesn't get enough credit for the impact that he's had on sprinting um, and speed development. 
you know, I, I think the people on the inside, people who know, know, but uh, man, publicly, he, he should be revered as one of the greats of all time, be, uh, just in terms of how he's impacted the world of swimming, because ultimately, Rick is is an artist and Rick's a master of of getting you to think and feel. And and you're right, like swimming, we didn't do that 20, 30 years ago. Like that's not how we swam. We swam for for function. You know, we we swam to build a system. We swam to kind of make an interval and and hold a hold a pace and you know hit a color. You know, like this was this is the way swimming was taught and and trained and coached. And Rick comes in and completely flips it on the head, makes it makes it an art form, and talks about you know this um, interaction between the mind and the body and feel for the water and just um, the interpretation of that. And it and it becomes less about the amount of yardage you're doing and more about the quality of the work. And so in terms of quality over quantity, Rick Rick to me is kind of like a godfather of this concept. You know. Absolutely. No, it was awesome. We'd ask him all the time for yardage. He's like, I don't know, like, go add it up. <laughs> he, he, a lot of times he might've had an idea of what we're going to do in practice, or I know he did, but he, he was always, um, adjusting and he, right. what, what his magic was when I was first there, when he was an assistant coach was he was able to kind of specify a specific set for each individual so we're mm. sprint specific then even within that like laura jackson was doing um let's say there are eight efforts she's doing 25 so 25 fast 25 easy and mm. schumann's doing every other one fast and since i had more of a distance background i do 850 fast <laughs> like he just <laughs> was trying to keep everyone yeah and i was able to hold pretty fast strong water at that point um that i'm specifically talking about but that was amazing that if he saw like Lyndon ferns needed more rest and reich neatly needed less and schumann needed more and and lj just needed to work on top end speed it was all the same thing we're kind of going together you can kind of mm. race people when you wanted to but um really he he was an artist and everyone had a different stroke and he was painting them all differently and took mm. incredible amounts of energy but I think he loved it. So it was worth it. But I just seeing that much uh, investment into each athlete, I think we could feel that. And you, you want to honor that effort with your effort. So it pushes you even harder, harder. Yeah. Yeah. And going over your career, just quickly, I was glancing at it earlier. Um, I mean, you, you make the Olympic team in 08 and has some success by swimming on some morning relays, but it wasn't really until, Till a few years later where where you really start to take off and click and then obviously in 12 you go on to win olympic gold in the 100 back and and have um almost like a dominating win and and was that in in 12 was that the best swim of your career like the fastest time 12 trials was um 12 5208 okay yeah, not far uh, off at the at the games either, right? Fifty two one. No, I think yeah, fifty two one. Yeah, uh, I I have thought about that. I think one of the best swims of my career is actually uh, a relay split in Manchester, dual in the pool, four hundred mm -hmm. free. I did a forty four six hundred freestyle short course meters relay split split, and I was just I was <laughs> pretty excited. Mm -hmm. I was talking trash to Nathan about out splitting him, <laughs> and he was just kind of coming to his own then too. Um, and that was one of those swims that you didn't expect and, and went kind of great. Um, yeah, but I, 
2000. Yeah, so I, I do have a question in regards to yeah. that then. So like I'm looking at 08 as kind of the, the suit era, 09 as a suit era, but then 12, they disappear. And one of the issues I had when the suits disappeared is, is anyone that swam in a suit had a real problem now then figuring out how to swim faster? All of a sudden they were swimming these times and it was like, you couldn't get it close to that, you know, for, for a year or two. And it was like this mental mess up where you just like, what happened, right? They, they stripped something away from you. You seem to have elevated during that period. So what I'm trying to get to is like, how did you have these suits and then swim faster within a couple of years, you know? Yeah. I actually never got into the full body for backstroke. I did legs only. Okay. Um, I was kind of led by Pearsall a little bit. He just wanted freedom in his stroke. Um, just didn't want restriction on the core usage and the twisting because we both had a lot of hip movement, um, kind of a hip-driven stroke. So it wasn't a huge transition, but man, the legs do it just didn't hurt as bad bad when you swam. Your legs could mm. float mm. and uh that can uh compression really made them not hurt as bad. But I, you know, after my my butterfly i was okay butterflyer in a full body suit i was definitely way better freestyler in a full body suit but my backstroke um after the suits were gone like oh nine wasn't great and then 10 i actually had a, a hard year but um we we kind of worked on how to adapt from the suits specifically we we call uh rocket used to say we're building our jacob and what he, he would do core exercises, just, just, uh, planks, tons of planks mm. and, uh, just really work on that core engagement and getting our body high in the water. Um, yeah, as light and high in the water as possible, trying to mimic body lines of a suit. So I know he was very specific in trying to keep that. He went in and backstroke my thighs up and what that was doing, keeping my thighs high up at water level would mean your feet are kicking you forward, not just up and down, but the higher your thighs are, the more you can kind of push your, your body forward. And mm. I think that was maybe from a suits idea of, okay, we were getting this buoyancy, uh, obviously less friction, more compression, all these things. How can we put that into our strokes without the actual suit? And so we're finding body lines. Um, and I think rock Rick DeMont was pretty focused on that after, after the suit era. Um, so that, that was good. It helped me. Um, I became really core focused in my swimming core driven with my hips, early hips, but the early hips allowed for more leverage, um, with my core and body. And so I really became very leg driven swimmer into core, um, mm. driven leverage. Interesting. That was all, oh, that was just that. his vision. Yeah. Former swimmers looking for a way to give back to the sport in New York city, reach out to imagine swimming. Since 2002, they've been the premier learn-to-swim school with international and American staff, including Olympic champions Anthony Irvin and Eric Vent. Imagine Swimming offers infant to adult classes, plus competitive team options, water polo, and an artistic swimming club coached by an Olympic silver medalist. With flagship locations across Manhattan and Brooklyn, Imagine is always looking for the next generation of swimmers to pass on their knowledge and passion for swimming. We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body.
athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. I like that talk. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, we do now is, is we, we try and teach, you know, and, and people ask us questions all the time. So I get questions on backstroke and backstroke's not my number one natural go-to, you know, for, for understanding and feeling. So while I've got one of the greatest of all time, I'm going to dig into you a little bit. So, um, in terms of just body position and, and head position, I think too, like what, what, what's the deal with head position in backstroke in, in freestyle, we, we, we always talk about it kind of being flat and cutting, you know, the water should cut you right in the middle. Your eyes should be down. Backstroke is slightly different, is it? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of different head positions. Irie, um, Raisuke Irie had such a still head, but it was so far forward. Mm. Um, it was really high in the water. But what he was doing, I think more than head, it's your back. Mm. You want a bow of a boat. Um, people like Missy Franklin, um, not to say she swam amazing, but she was a barge and she had water going over her face. If you watch the videos, there's water all over her face and, and it's a lot of pressure on your shoulders because you're not, mm. you're not spinning into it. You're, you're flat out where if you're rotating more, you're obviously in a stronger shoulder position. Mm. So I think your head position needs to be somewhere up where you're still having the curve of your back being able to hold you up and i think like ryan murphy's really good at that having that curve head position i think back is when your legs are tired and you want to float them in a 200 i think looking a little more back kind of that downhill idea um you're pushing water more efficiently with your legs you're, you're bringing that body position or at least leg position up and if you want deeper water getting that kick like a motorboat you know you look down a little bit and the biggest part about looking down is it helps you see the lane lines. So mm. um, I think for a 50, you don't want to hit a lane line more than anything. And your legs, you can afford them to get tired so you can get a little deeper. So I think a, a head position a little bit further down so you can see where you are spotting in the lane more. But also, yeah, motorboat just gets that kick a little deeper. Um, you still need to have your core in a certain way so you're not swimming uphill. You want to still have that being able to throw your arms to get the leverage with your core with your throw. And that kind of, it's hard to do when you're too tied up, but you do want to kind of lean back, but still have those shoulders, I think a little bit um, rounded. And that's again, stronger shoulder position. Water's not going over your face as much and shoulders. Um, so I, yeah, I think straight up neutrals is probably the easiest answer to head position. But I think it's more than just that. It's, it's where it's sitting forward back um like i said iria beautiful beautiful backstroke had his head really high up um and kind of i don't know created space yeah. for his shoulders and the yeah. guy just was so high in the water it was really cool to watch then you have other guys that are just power like even florent manatee what he broke the world record short course mm -hmm. uh 50 backstroke is a guy he didn't he just was deep in the water uh his his head kind of looking down yeah um awesome i love that <laughs> very very good description there now in terms of catch you know in, in freestyle we we talk about high elbow you know more more so with kind of 
200 and up, you know, you slide in, you get that high elbow, you catch, you pull in here. Uh, you know, sprint has gone into more of uh, an open stroke or even a straight arm stroke and then coming over the top and like fingertips first and digging straight down and, and getting deep water. You talked about deep water. Were you, were you referring to deep water in backstroke? Is there something that's going yeah. on that's slightly different there? Absolutely. So when I was watching just 50 backstrokers versus 200 backstrokers, when I was trying to get more speed, uh, especially when 50s were at Worlds, I was like, man, I got to try to figure this out. I don't really do any specific training for it. And it showed I never did too well. But um, what you were just talking in freestyle, I think that's the easiest way to think of catch for backstroke when you kind of had that the the dry armpits thing, right? It's kind of your leverage out, you're over the barrel backstroke you're skipping you don't want to be so extended that you have to waste all this time getting back into a powerful uh full engaged leverage position mm. like i know that freestyle you can probably get more extension and start start that initiation with your scaps um and and then getting bicep instead of just lat swimmers in freestyle you, you see a lot of lat only swimmers not engaging the rest of their arm backstroke i think is very similar kind of the dry armpit is that you want to to have your anchor already set mm. um when you come in anchor if you have your bicep engaged that in that engages your shoulder your pecs and that holds the leverage where now i'm just mm. turning i'm not even using my arm pulling through the water mm. i'm just using core muscles um and I think that's similar freestyles. How can you move through the water sharing the load with all your body parts, all the systems mm. um, and energy and backstroke, I think is that's how I thought of it is that was finding my canoe with rocket was placing. It was just now an, or I'm not actually, my arms never got tired because I'm just using setting it. Um, when I think depth faster, I would get my shoulder in deeper and that's how my hand got in deeper, but really is always, kind of the same i didn't move it like this i moved mm. my shoulders to get the depth mm. um, and then the shoulders would then that deeper water would have more mm. leverage to pull out and just mm. stronger so it's a lot more core and that's what's cooked first usually on me is my legs then my core mm. um and if my core is first that means i had a great race that means i probably swam yeah. right I love that, man, because so often I see these young kids and or even even, you know, older athletes who don't fully understand swimming technique and, and they're doing arms and they're doing legs, but there's nothing going on in the middle. There's no connection between the two and there's not not any leverage and they're not this cross connection. And everything that you talked about is like a total body movement where everything works together and connects and and does. It, it's kind of like an energy uh, conservation, too, because you're not just ripping that water now you're just anchoring and just pulling and sliding your body past it right absolutely and i think i i never figured out how to transfer that into full speed i never had top end great top end speed i think i became efficient um and that's why i could do even with minimal training hundreds at the end or even 200s i, I wasn't training 200s at all in 2015 dual in the pool two backstroke, I think I went a 148 high or something like that. Um, negative split it, or I think my last 50 was my fastest 50 by far. And it was just because it was efficiency. There was mm. very, very little 200 training, none actually. And I just, I don't even know why I got the slot, but I was like, yeah, I'll do 200 back. And it ended up being great just because I learned how to swim it efficiently. And just, I think even, 
yeah, if I right now I could probably do an okay hundred backstroke without really any training, just because I I figured out how to share the load um, through those. And I don't know if that transfers that well into short course swimming. There's so many walls that you reset on, but yeah, maybe it does um, to a certain extent. Yeah, uh, I've been pushing hard clearly on this uh, idea of sprint revolution here, mate. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, it is. It's been well received, especially from people who uh, you know very knowledgeable like you and um, ha have gone through, you know, kind of this whole gamut of, of training from the time they started to the time they ended, you know? So, but I guess I don't want to beat it to death, but in terms of uh, your perspective, like what could we do better from what you learned at the end of your career to how you could apply that maybe earlier on? Because the, the idea still is that you have to have this massive base in order to become Mac Rebus, right? And I, and I disagree with that. So, like, what do you think about that concept? I think the the base is just from my time in the water. I, I think just just being in the water, um, feeling your body position, feeling yeah. different possibilities of the stroke has its advantage. Now, doing yards, I, I don't think – I don't know – where the research is on that. <laughs> I don't believe in that either. I don't think that developing certain muscles that you don't use in a race has an advantage. I don't think um, having to repair certain muscles, using the proteins to develop um, or even add weight to the wrong muscle groups, doing a inefficient um, aerobic stroke transfers to an anaerobic Mm. Uh, metabolic system that you're using in racing. I, I think if I could do it differently, I would just develop the system I'm using in racing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, I, I still, you know, I have a hard time with even lifting in the weight room muscles that you're not using. Cause again, your body's then repairing and using its energy to develop these muscles that, uh, that aren't making you move faster and what you're trying to do. Right. So I, I think just more focus. And I don't know if it's for everyone. Like I think as a college coach, you have way more insight um, than I do on how to coach to multiple people. I think an individual, what I'm saying is easy. You can, someone that's super mindful and focused, that's finding their way through the water, learning little tricks. And I'm talking like centimeters of, of hand position movement mm -hmm. or engaging their bicep. Like you're not even moving anything different. You're just flexing it. Your hands mm -hmm. in the same position, but all of a sudden you're like, Hey, just me flexing that arm now is engaging these muscles. And mm -hmm. it's hard to have someone know that without feeling it themselves, or maybe they're, their muscles or their neurons fire a different way to activate something, to engage it, to then find leverage in it. And they need time to do it. They just need to work it out themselves, just being in the water. But uh, the group setting, I don't know how you do that. How do you get people to be so mindful? And some athletes that don't have it, some people don't have the ability to have a hyper focus on their stroke to get the value out of the small yardage. So do you just have to swim laps back and forth for them to figure out those little tips and tricks so for me individually, if I was coaching just myself, man, I would I would just do more race pace, a lot more more power, just work on connection, um, explosiveness. No more full squats. I do quarter squats. They're showing that increases vertical athleticism. Um, I I yeah I wouldn't be destroying muscle parts that I'm not using. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I agree with you there, man. Um, 
Listen, the other thing that is fascinating about you is you are a individual Olympic champion. And I have tried to spend time analyzing people like you and understanding people like you because uh, ultimately I was in a position where um, uh, for a very short amount of time, my life could have gone in that direction and it didn't, right? Like, so I, I was in an Olympic final and I never became an Olympic champion. And, and I'm completely okay with that. But I, I like to look at the people that, were in the similar position and do become Olympic champions. And to me, there is something that separates those types of people from everybody else. And, and I want to get your perspective on yourself maybe, but in that moment when you were presented with the chance to become an Olympic champion, what did you do that enabled you to kind of take that step forward across the line? Good question. Um, uh, and to be very honest, I was, I didn't, I was nervous. I had built so much pressure on myself that it wasn't what it should have been. I think I should have enjoyed the moment, the opportunity, and just, and tried to be more present. Um, but what I did is I thought about all the people watching, all the people that have invested in me and how I need to make them proud. My country, uh, my teammates, my family, my coaches, and I just, felt a lot of weight. And so I was kind of just praying that, um, I could, I could win. Um, it wasn't a full confidence thing. And I, I don't know if I, since I was very young and I told you how I wanted people almost to have a lead mm. to catch up, I kind of lost that somewhere in, in the professional swimming, maybe just being, you know, beaten too many times or, uh, not always having success in all my swims. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I would love to say that I just, you know, I knew I was going to win and, and I had confidence and I had, a, I didn't, I was nervous. And what I think I was fortunate is that I had a race plan that I could put my focus on. And it's, you know, when you rehearse something so many times, even in a super um, distracting situation, you can remember it. And luckily that was my swimming. I rehearsed it so many times that even though I was super nervous, I was able to execute the race plan and had confidence that I could do that. And that's how I was going to win. Um, so I, even some in my particular race, um, I was not winning at the 50, but I did have confidence that I was going to finish that race hard. Um, and I don't, I think that's, if I didn't focus on that race plan, if I didn't have that ingrained in me, I would have gone out too fast and I would have died and I went to one. <laughs> okay so that, that's interesting right you, you talk about nervousness which i think we all get and and that's great to acknowledge as well like we we talk to kids all the time and say look even the best of us get nervous like that's normal um but there was clearly some point then it wasn't the whole race where you were thinking i've got to win for my country i've got to satisfy this person no. i've got to do that no. you know it was definitely a moment in time and i'm sure it was during the warm-up it may have been in the ready room but at some point you went back to what you knew which made you comfortable which gave you confidence which was your race plan so it must have it must have clicked at some point to say hey bring it back to what i know you pretty much just said my spiel um no i i did i it was it was that's all part of it right is the the routine um, and so, yeah, the ready room, I was more nervous than a normal ready room, uh, by far, but yeah, just having that race plan every time or even routine 
every time gives you confidence um, or it's comfortable. That routine, you know, you're doing it, you know how to do it, you know how it feels. And that comfort gives you confidence and confidence helps fight that anxiety um, and that nervousness. And I, there was there that goes back to so much more than even just the warm up. It's just you know drinking your pre workout. Your systems like you know the Pavlov dogs. Like once you have pre workout, your body knows it's about to go. Your body's responding without you even having to use your brain a certain way. It, doing a routine that you are very comfortable with does give you that confidence that fights that um, anxiety. And one of my main things is I'm nervous and I'm thinking and I'm try to smile. Smiling reduces anxiety. There's um, helps, you know, the happy chemicals flow. Then whenever I put my goggles on, that's when I kind of was fine. I'd, I'd wave and I put my goggles on. And in this case, I think I had my goggles on really early trying to <laughs> try to get to that happy place, but that's my filter. And I just would envision the perfect race. I'd listen to the starter to make sure I could hear the cues, but when they're still announcing names, I would just imagine the perfect start. Um, entering the water perfectly in the perfect breakout. And I just kept picturing the the major points of my race that um, could mess up and and just think about them and, and thinking about finishing to the wall with speed and with, with lots of energy in my legs. And that definitely, there's certain points. And then when you're, you're right, this is all pre. And then when you're racing, it's racing. And um, I was nervous because of the gravity of it. But I also had raced so many times I was, you know, confident in that process and that routine. And you're exactly right. That confidence um, or that comfort gives you confidence and the confidence fights that anxiety, which is, uh, man, I, I literally peed on the blocks when I was a youngster. I was so nervous <laughs> before relay. It was horrible. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, I threw up in the uh, warm-up pool at the Olympics. I was so nervous. So I understand, I understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah 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 Ner nerves that hey, you can't escape it right like because you just you know like this is the olympics and for a swimmer it happens once every four years now i'm watching football on the weekend the guy drops a pass and he's able to line back up and catch the next one like in swimming you got one shot at that thing like that gun goes off and and you start wandering with your mind and and, in, and you're in trouble right it's over, oh yeah so. yeah i gotta keep the focus yeah yeah now you you um you put yourself in there with the greats the american greats america has been known uh especially in backstroke to have these legends you know you put yourself in there with uh krasselberg and uh, pearsall and yourself and then you've got ryan murphy as well and um, um nick thoman's there and you've got uh uh who finished second to you in in 12 or was it at the world championships? That was Thoman, but now you got Hunter Armstrong. He's, he's oh, yeah, Hunter Armstrong's yeah. there. He's a, he's a, yeah, he's a legend. So it's like yeah. this this lineage Plummer. of American backstroke. Yeah. yeah, Plummer as well. Yeah, that's the one. So my God, just uh, the backstrokers that have come from this country. Why backstroke? You think? Oh, I do. You know, you're not going to like it as an Aussie. No, we're <laughs> it's uh, it's a leg. It's legs. Backstrokes, you have so much um, pressure on both sides of your legs that you, you got to be like the best backstrokers that do freestyle are all pretty leg driven freestylers. And I think um, you're just, I think we do a lot of kicking in the United States. I think we've always just yeah. done, um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. I think we're all just great kickers. And that's yeah. backstroke has a lot of uh, that's what goes down first. And once your kick goes in backstroke, you have no. Your that foundation is not there to use your core. 
and you're just you're just sinking. You're not yeah. you're not doing it. Where I think other strokes you can get away. I I've loved when I dabble in butterfly and breaststroke. I actually really enjoy those strokes because um, you don't. It's not the same pain as freestyle and backstroke. You know, freestyle and backstroke, you literally can black out from the effort uh, from the lactate. But breaststroke and butterfly, your your muscles just stop working. It's like lifting weights. Like it's not the same. It hurts, sure, but not that deep pain that lasts and you can't see and you have massive headaches afterwards because you're going this oxygen debt because your big muscles or legs are able to use it all. Um, I kind of wish I was and did it again. I do breaststroke for sure. Uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, if I had to say the U.S. does a lot of kicking to develop that and backstroke's a kick dominant stroke, in my opinion, I, I could be wrong. Hey guys, I've been trialing some revolutionary new swim tech and now you can get your hands on it too. This is EO Swim Better, a swimming evolution in the palm of your hands. Improve your technique with EO Swim Better. Analyze your stroke technique with EO's Swim Better handset. Go to eolab.com, use code BRETT at checkout and save 10%. What was it like for you to be part of teams in, in 08 and 12 and, you know, being around legends like like Phelps? Like, I was very fortunate, and I tell people this all the time, that I, I got to travel the world with Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett and Susie O'Neill and people that are just legendary in the sport. And and it just it rubbed off on me so much just being around people like that. Do you, do you feel similar in terms of what you had in the U.S.? Yeah, uh, and Phelps is just... I mean, he's, he's so good. It, it irritates me. He, he took, he took away what a gold medal means. People's like, Oh, this guy has over 20. It's, it must not be that hard to win one. I'm like, Oh, he, he just was so good. And you know, so focused when it came down to it. And if you were to ask him about his anxiety before races, or I, I think he had a, would have a completely different answer. I think he, um, was good at racing angry and good at getting the mindset that he needed to win each time and just a, an uber competitor that's willing to do anything for it. In terms of rubbing off on me, that, that would have to be Nathan Adrian. Um, he was a very focused swimmer, and uh, I liked the way he... I liked the way he organized um, his brain for competition, how he prepped for it in food and sleep and still fun and focus. Um, and I feel like he probably developed that Cal team to where they are today. I think a lot of Nathan Adrianisms uh, mm. are still there. I think just the way he was particular about certain things that he had control over. Um, but then if he didn't, he would, he would let it go. Um, I think he put energy in the right place. And I learned a lot from him, even though he's younger than me um, by a little bit. He he definitely had a something that I thought would look good. I, I liked the way he operated, and I wanted to be like that. And so I think <clears throat> over the years, I, I kind of was able to train with him over Christmas training in Colorado Springs and the Cal team. And um, definitely... Even his stroke, when I swam with him for long enough, I was kind of like a chameleon that way. I'd keep watching him underwater and start developing a Nathan stroke, and it felt good. But just, yeah, the way he approached life and swimming uh, definitely rubbed off on me. Michael, we didn't have that close of a connection where he probably could have as much. And also saw, thought the way he did things might not have been worth it to me. I think how much he put into it um, 
you know, he, he did, he raced angry. He was uh, not that he's an angry guy, but that's how he found success. And he was willing to probably sacrifice more than I wanted to in, in some ways. Um, and that was amazing to see and witness, but not necessarily something I wanted to rub off on me too much. I mm-hmm. like, kind of like the more, more balanced, um, happier outlook. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying for sure. I mean, I, I got to witness both you and Michael from a distance and uh, you had different ways of going about it for the same result, but um, not, not to say one's better than the other, but it's just the way that you both handle it and, and it worked for both of you. But um, it was certainly uh, a dominating team with the way that you were swimming and Nathan and the way he was handling business and, and then, uh, you know, everybody who was associated with the U S team, 08, 12, I mean, and even years before that, right? So it's like this legacy. Um, I, I feel like in some respects there's, uh, I don't even know how to put this exactly, but it, it doesn't have the dominance. It doesn't feel, I didn't feel the U.S. dominance that when you guys walked on the deck, when Mac Reeves walked on the deck, and I'm seeing this 6'8 dude with American jacket and cap and i'm like oh man that's captain america you know what i mean like that that's cool as hell like and i'm not saying that that there's just that persona just that the way that the u.s team is perceived these days has is, has changed slightly do you do you get a sense for that yeah without being on a team i can't be positive but um i think we did build that confidence off each other you know having michael phelps in in your uh, ready room felt pretty good um he this guy found ways to win no matter what and um nathan just a a confidence again and in his routine he was so confident in his routine that he'd be nervous too but i think we all radiated um self-confidence and because we we had so much trust in each other that everyone was going to get the job done uh, there was it was kind of fun this the, mm. the relay ready rooms are way easier than individual for me um and i think i think they could feel that I knew they were going to do a great job. And that mm. probably built, we all built each other up. Like, okay, Matt, Matt's having a great me. He's going to get us out to the lead. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get you out of the lead. And then you're going to, you're going to do a great breaststroke and do mm. a great freestyle leg. And we just, um, there was, I think we were, it's easy to say because we're also kind of ahead of the world at that point in swimming. Right. We, and we had been, but now the world has caught up to the U S certainly um there's just so much information people like you are mm-hmm. uh, sharing this <laughs> all the good stuff <laughs> sorry i apologize <laughs> and making it accessible but no it's it's awesome too getting to learn yeah. on your podcast what uh a little bit of what you know cam's doing and how he's mm. developing himself as a sprinter now and kind of getting to know that process so right. i think it's it's gonna be great for the u.s um who kind of has a, a well i don't know if it's different or not but we're a shared I love the sprint revolution is what I'm trying to get at is I this idea of um you know just sharing what works with each other mm-hmm. is yeah. it's kind of new I think in swimming it YouTube's been around and people can get um some idea of how to do things but when you're at really looking for the minutia the the little tiny changes or um or even big thought changes it's hard to have confidence in that or to test it out unless someone else has found success in it. And so this communication of ideas and and showing examples of success is going to give people the courage to try um, 
coaching that they believe in um, that that has you know everyone wants it to be a proven process and you giving sharing the processes that are working giving people confidence to try new things and it is going to revolutionize the sport um, and what and I think that means it's all it's going to even out um, yeah. there's no yeah. there's no ton of information just in the US now college college swimming is a is an advantage but we we have the world swim with us it's not just yeah. the US. um no i appreciate yeah. you saying that man and um and that perspective I, I really like too you know like that's the way i see it sometimes i get the feeling that i'm i'm looked at as a spy in, in america and then sometimes when i go back to australia just recently i feel like i'm a you know, like looked at as a spy there i'm like i'm not trying to spy on anyone i'm not trying to give away anyone's secrets i'm trying to make swimming better i'm trying to make it more um accessible i want i want people to know mac reeva's story i mean that, what a cool story man you got this incredible life story that, that we could share with the world and and that's why i just want to celebrate good stories you know i want to celebrate good people and and the successes they've had and that that means i'm going to talk to americans i'm going to talk to australians and everybody gets a chance to kind of make everybody better and then at, at the end of the day it's always going to be the best man wins right like whoever gets up and gets the job done so i'm not i'm not trying to spy on anybody i'm just trying to make everybody better you know absolutely and and the things that like cam are doing that's a hyper focus not many people mm -hmm. could probably do it the same way so what works for him right isn't going to work for most people but right. you are probably developing the knowledge now to to understand how to make it work for most people yeah. And, and getting that information um i think it's awesome yeah I, the sports can like no one wants to commit that much time in and swimming that much yardage anymore mm. like if you can do it a better way right i think it's going to increase participation increase viewership viewership and just make yeah. the sport bigger and better being able to find that more yeah. efficient way to go go through it yeah, I agree, man. Well, listen, you're, you've still got some attachments to the swimming world. Um, you, you said you're in business with, with Rick DeMont, correct? Yeah, so we uh, are partnered in swim school. It, Rick and his wife, Carrie, and I actually work with Carrie a lot more. Rick has great ideas. He's our simplifier. So when we mm -hmm. overcomplicate things, um, he comes in and just like, no, just do this, uh, which, yeah. is, which is great for us. But So I get to see him once a week in our owner meetings and um, – yeah, it's really cool. Just I get in. I, I was an instructor. I had my own schedule shifts for a while and just working with kids and seeing how they float in different body types and densities. And, you know, it's it's amazing seeing at that level um, how different body types can move through the water. And we're talking like you know, they learn some freestyle and they can. They will learn all four strokes by the end. Um, but it's really cool to, to see it at that level and see the kids that really want to win and and get competitive about it. I, I have my medal um, on the wall and when they graduate, we unlock it and they, they put it around their neck hmm. and, uh, and they get to wear it and feel it. And that was a big thing for me. I remember um, holding on to Josh Davis's medals early on and then Lee Loveless, now Lee Mowers medals and just having something physical material in your hand made it real and made it that goal more real instead of just, an abstract thought or, or something that you know, truly a dream, not an actual goal. Um, that physical metal was, came a huge way. So being able to put that around the kids' necks and, and let them dream to be there and get their own metal 
is is pretty special. So we're we're trying to expand. We're trying to build a second location now, but the the first one's yeah going great. What's the name of the first, and where can they find it? Because like if I've got a kid and I'm in the area, and Matt Grievers and Rick Demont have a swim school, my kids are going to that swim school. Where where's yeah. that? Demont Demont Family Swim School, okay. and they they actually. Um, started in 2009 so it's uh i recently partnered up with uh hopes to expand to more locations but nice. they they do a great job carrie's developed a incredible curriculum i've done probably similar to you like lifeguarding i did my own lessons all my whole life right and seeing what they put together it's, it's really good stuff it's, it's what awesome. suburbs it's, it in it's in tucson it's um tucson. northern northwest tucson okay cool cool now you you've also got some other associations. There's been a lot of people that have supported you throughout your career. Have you held on to some of those supporters? I know that uh, Magic Five. You do some work with them as well, right? Yeah. Um, at the end of my career, they had a goggle, and for backstroke, that goggles are hard because you, you look out your sides exactly. The peripheral is super important for me to not have my head position be too messed up. So um, they have a great peripheral that it's, it's custom goggles. So they laser, you have an app and you scan your face mm. and then they customize these goggles to fit the exact shape of your eyes. And uh, man, that's huge. There's, <laughs> I talked about Bob earlier. I lost my goggles um, big at big tens, man. I don't remember what, like the Hunter free. And he mm. was so mad at me. And it's just a, a nice thing not to worry about behind the blocks of your goggles malfunctioning uh, just to have right. confidence and one less thing to distract you and just to focus on your routine uh, is a huge thing. So they, they have a great product. Um, I'm not like invested with them just cause I'm, I was so um, impressed by what they mm. offer. So yeah, the magic five, just great goggles. Right. I love it, man. Well, good stuff. Well, um, Big fan of yours. Uh, uh, got to work with you a little bit uh, when the whole, you know, professional swim league was going on. And um, like I said, just the, the way that people looked at you and revered you and just um, listened to you, it, you could tell that you were an impact player. You know, you people people cared about what you said. And that that's a big deal in swimming, man. You know, when you can have that type of legacy and lasting impact that that the people around you want to be with you. They want to be teammates with you. That, that says something about you too. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, man, a killer as well. You got a, you got a nice smile, but there's a killer back there too. <laughs> He's deep in there. Now, thank you, Brad, that, that you're speaking my love language there. I, that's um, where I think I get the greatest fulfillment is positive impact on people. So thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. And uh, recently was at Golden Goggles and Ryan Murphy said some nice things about me. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's super special to know that you made a positive impact. And so I just want yeah. to return that and say, you're doing an awesome job here. Keep it up. Uh, love Thanks, that man. I can be a part of it, but um, listening through your different podcasts, learning a lot and just some of the stories are truly amazing. And just getting to hear everyone's um, background, personal little things is is pretty cool to get a sneak peek in that you wouldn't really think to look up so i really appreciate yeah. everything you're doing and uh i hope the sprint revolution takes over because i'm in i do too thanks man i appreciate it thanks for your time thanks brett all right see you